Hello, I'm Alina. Hello, I'm Janine. We're two sisters, two PhDs, relentlessly curious about too many things. This is Sister Doctor Squared. Before we get started, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording this episode and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Thank you, Janine. And welcome to episode two of Sister Doctor Squared. This episode, we are talking about multitasking. Mm -hmm. And why are we talking about multitasking? Well, something that Janine, I feel, has always been really, really bad at. (laughs) Me, on the other hand, I feel like I've had this sense of, oh, no, I can multitask. Yeah, I can do that. And then you hear these things about multitasking is nobody can multitask. It's a myth. And I think, really? Of course we can multitask. We do it every day. We do it when we are driving and having a conversation with our passenger. More on that later. We do it when we're making dinner while talking to our spouse. And so we wanted to dive into the evidence base around this. And so I was very happy to go ahead and do this episode. And I thought while we were recording, I might do an oil painting (laughs) or start texting with my friends and we'll see how we go. Yes, it's certainly been a long running joke in the family that I'm terrible at multitasking, but I honestly don't understand how people can do it. The biggest thing that comes up is when Alina is visiting and we're chatting while I'm trying to cook and I just, the dinner ends up being an hour and a half late because I just cannot hold the conversation and keep up with the cooking related tasks. I just can't do it. And it causes a lot of laughing. And so we're very excited to get into this research today. And boy, I really feel like diving into this, this literature that I've learned so much and I think I've really had to confront some hard truths about (laughs) my own overinflated sense of being able to multitask, (laughs) which really we've learned that that's the case for most people is that we we overestimate the extent to which we can do more than one thing at the same time. So let's get into it, Janine. Yes. So I looked at a paper that's just come out this year, so very recent, and it's by Spence and colleagues in the journal Physiology and Behaviour. And what they were doing was focusing in on university or college students. We know that students and indeed everyone are often online or on smartphones while they're having a conversation or for students during lectures. So they're effectively attempting to multitask. They're trying to listen to their lecturers while they're scrolling through their social media feeds. So the researchers wanted to see if there is any measurable impact of this type of multitasking on the ability of the students to take in and remember new information from class. So what they did was used a well-known memory scale to test memory recall. Basically, this involved reading two short stories, and they were very short, just 65 and 85 words long, and then ask a series of true and false questions and calculate the percentage that the students got correct. That seems like a fairly easy task. Yeah, So to see if multitasking with social media affected recall, the students were randomly assigned to one of three groups. So firstly, there was a control group where they listened to these stories without multitasking. So 
were not looking at social media. Second group listened to the story while they were scrolling through their Instagram feed and then answered the questions after doing that. And the third group listened to the story while not multitasking and then scrolled through their Instagram feed and then answered the questions. So the results were very interesting. The students that were multitasking while listening, so they were scrolling through the Instagram feed while the stories were being read out, they had the worst recall. They got around 71% correct. The control group, so the group doing no multitasking at all, they had the best recall. They got around 81% correct. Okay. And that was a significant difference. So the 71 compared to 81%. And they got a p-value of 0.01, which effectively means there is a 1% chance that this result was due to random chance. So pretty confident that there is a relationship here between this multitasking and memory recall. And then remember there was that other group where they were listening to the story while not multitasking and then had a scroll through the Instagram feed afterwards. Now they did are slightly better than the group that were looking at Instagram while listening to the story. They got 77% correct. A slight difference, but there was no significant effect there. So the big difference occurred when the students were basically trying to multitask, when they're trying to listen to the story and when they're trying to scroll through the Instagram feed. Right. So the main takeaways were to note that they were, the students were only involved in what the researchers called passive scrolling. So they're just literally scrolling with their finger through their feed. They were not opening any links. They weren't doing any commenting or any liking. They weren't really getting too involved in their feed. They're just passively scrolling. So you could be forgiven for thinking that that may not have much of an effect on how much you're able to pay attention to and listen, but indeed it did have that effect. That's really interesting. I know. So we And we might even expect bigger differences if they were scrolling through something like a news app or reading emails, trying to reply to emails. And the other big takeaway was that the difference between the control group and that multitasking group was 10%, and it was significant. And this could, in the case of students, represent a change in a grade. It could be going from an A to a B. So. I also found it interesting that the Instagram group did retain around that 70% of information. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. The group that was scrolling through Instagram passively could still retain around 70% of the material. Yes. And I found that interesting because you might expect it to be even less. But I suppose, as you were saying, that what they're doing is so passive. They're not, there's other types of material that they could engage with a lot more. And perhaps if they were texting their friend as I mentioned earlier, yes. or doing something that it was engaging their brain a bit more, maybe we would see that recall even lower. Exactly. For example, if they were trying to cook while talking to their sister. Yes. Of course, <laughs> measuring out your cup of rice. Can't do it. <laughs> so rather than being able to do multiple things at once, it seems like the brain is actually flicking between the different tasks. Right. And... I won't go into the detail of other studies, but I will put the links up on the website. One classic study found that there seems to be this capacity within our working memory to remember around three or four things at once. So we can engage with around three or four things quite well, but as soon as we start increasing beyond four, it gets very difficult for us to start juggling this amount of information. So I think the students doing the Instagram scrolling they're actually flicking. They're flicking between scrolling, listening to the story, 
maybe thinking about their own internal thoughts, whatever else is going on for them. And that explains why some of the information gets through, but a significant amount does not. Exactly. And I think it's important to realise that this flicking between tasks does create a little bit of a lag each time where the brain just takes just that little bit of time to move from one task to the next to refresh and switch gears, if you like. And I personally experience that quite obviously <laughs> trying to move between tasks. You do. But as I've, I do, as we've learned, I think there will be individual differences in this, but what yes. you're saying is that generally there's a capacity of around three to four items that we can hold in our working memory at one time. Yes. And your average person, it's they're not going to be able to exceed much more than this. No. So that wraps up the study that I focused on, and I think it certainly suggests that multitasking is a myth. Uh, and instead, I think there seems to be multi-flicking going on, and this can have significant effects on memory recall, and in this study it was in the context of listening and learning. Exactly. I like that. And it's a nice real world example that you've, mm. that you've shared. So the study that I read about, it touches on a similar thing as well. And so what this study was about was on media multitasking, mm-hmm. which is when you are consuming more than one item or stream of content at the same time. So right. this is where you're sitting at your workstation, say, reading your emails, But you're also keeping an eye on Twitter and meanwhile you've got Björk's latest album playing through your music (laughs) streaming service at the same time. (laughs) I'm not describing myself. (laughs) I'm 100% describing myself just this morning. (laughs) And so this research was led by Eyal Ophira, apologies for pronunciation here, and it was done in Cliff Nass's lab at Stanford University. And... The team was interested in how media multitasking affects learning, cognition, cognitive function, and memory, but more specifically whether there are distinct differences in fundamental information processing between heavy media multitaskers and light media multitaskers. Mm. And this paper reports a series of lab-based experiments conducted among university students. So the first thing that the participants did was complete the trait media multitasking index which this group also developed and it's a Mm -hmm. questionnaire that they complete online and it's designed to measure the extent to which each participant engages in media multitasking in their day-to-day life so how often to what extent they consume multiple streams of content at the one time and with this the team identified the heavy and the light media multitaskers Mm -hmm. And then the participants did a series of experiments to test their cognitive control. In other words, how well they could control their processing of information in the brain, such as focusing in on relevant information and ignoring or filtering out irrelevant information. Mm. So this is a bit of an added um, aspect to this research. And so as an example, the participants were shown on screen two consecutive arrays of red and blue shapes. So they were rectangles. And the way the rectangles was organized may have changed slightly from the first to the second array. So they're shown these really quickly, like one or two seconds. Mm. And what they've got to do is focus on the red rectangles and indicate whether any of the red rectangles changed in orientation from the first to second presentation. Right. Right while ignoring the blue rectangles. Mm -hmm. 
And what the group found was that the heavy media multitaskers were distracted by the blue rectangles Mm. and they performed worse at this task, while the light media multitaskers weren't distracted by the blue rectangles. Mm -hmm. So they could ignore them and focus in on the red Mm -hmm. rectangles and complete the task accurately. So it seemed only the light media multitaskers could successfully filter out the irrelevant information. And they did various other tasks as well as reported in this paper, so involving holding something in working memory while filtering out irrelevant information, and the heavy media multitaskers again performed worse mm. at this. So, And they also looked at task switching, which you ended on there, Janine, mm-hmm. because I think you might say that, hey, if multitasking is a myth and it's actually that we're just constantly switching between yes. tasks – then you might think the heavy media multitaskers would be quite good at task switching, right? But no. Really? Really. So they took longer than the light media multitaskers to be able to stop one cognitive Mm -hmm. task, reset, refocus, and then move to another. Mm -hmm. So, and I'll just say, as for any highly controlled experiment like this, we have to think about how these lab-based cognitive tasks translate into real-world everyday situations, mm. kind of like what you were discussing, mm. Janine. Um, so there's always a question mark on the external validity of research like this. That's not a criticism, it just is. Mm-hmm. And so for heavy media multitaskers, based on these findings, though, it's like their brain is primed to be trying to pay attention to everything. Yes. Rather than centering in on a single cue or stream of information. Yes. And just staying on that. Yes. And this is obviously an observational set of studies. We can't say that it's causal from these results. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be some third factor that's explaining both traits. But if it is causal, mm-hmm. then what's the direction of causation here? Mm-hmm. Is it that heavy media multitasking is making our brains a bit more lazy? Mm-hmm. Or is it that people who already struggle somewhat with focusing their attention on a single thing are also more likely to immerse themselves in multiple streams mm-hmm. of media at once? Mm-hmm. So we don't know. Mm-hmm. It remains to be seen. But I think you will agree that the capacity for media multitasking or the invitation or temptation to do this mm-hmm. is only getting bigger and bigger Absolutely. in modern society, yep. right? There's a new device and a new media platform every day yep. and we want to consume, consume, consume. The more we consume, the more we want to consume and it's all a bit scary. Mm. So just I'll end soon, but on that very point about what's potentially causing what here, essentially in concluding the paper they, they say that if this growth – of multitasking changes our brains enough so that the norm is having multiple input streams, Mm -hmm. then this will have real consequences for learning, persuasion, and other media effects. Mm. But if these differences in cognitive control are just reflecting natural differences across individuals, then many people are really going to struggle with the changing landscape of media. Yes, like me. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I can't even talk and cook. How am I supposed to do all the other things? (laughs) That's right. But this applies to everybody. Mm. And we know some more fundamental results around driving. Yes. Even just the act of talking on your phone, even if it's hands-free while you're driving, it is having an impact on your reaction time. I think I read it was like 50% of road accidents 
are due to distracted driving yes. in some way. Scary, isn't it? It is. So what I'm taking away from all of this is that people who might feel that they are good at multitasking might actually be good at becoming distracted. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's because when trying to switch from one thing to another, there is a cognitive cost in doing this. And there's a lag time, as you discussed, mm-hmm. and it becomes very difficult to all of a sudden need to suppress the kind of activation of one other task while trying to focus on the next. Yes, and maybe it actually gives the illusion that they are multitasking and that they're doing it effectively. Yes. Alina. Not mentioning any names. (laughs) Alina. (laughs) I have had to eat my words. (laughs) It has been a very useful exercise. Yeah, good. I mean, I'm I'm certainly guilty of trying to text while having a conversation with someone. You're talking about something and you go, hang on, I've just got to reply to this. And you're sort of continuing the conversation, but then later they'll say, Remember when I told you about this? No, what? I just told you, what? Oh, okay, obviously I was flicking. I feel like I'm able to do these things, but I'm not. So I'm becoming more conscious of it even myself since reading all of the research. And I think I'm going to own that I'm not good at multitasking, but I'm going to flip it around and say I'm probably quite good at focusing. So So rather than saying I want to be good at multitasking, you're saying I want to be good at focusing. Yes, We should all, let's flip it around and all go with that. Think about how much more productive you can be. Yes. Excellent. Well, I think it's time for Inner Square. So, Janine, what brought out your Inner Square recently? Well, as you know, we did some camping recently and we have a big crate filled with camping-related miscellany. And in there were some UHT milk poppers. So they'd yes. not been used at the last camping trip. But unfortunately, they had an expired best before date. So, and it was best before February 29, no, 2018. Yeah. It, it was a little bit out of date. Wow. So there was some arguing around whether that was truly expired or not, because a best before date is not a use by date. But I lost that argument and it was determined that we would not take these and we would buy some new ones. Okay. Now, I felt bad about this because I'm trying to cut down our waste drastically at home. So I decided, well, if we're not going to use them, I'm at least going to recycle the crap out of them. So I spent uh, around 45 minutes late one evening just organizing all of these 24 tiny poppers, taking off all the straws getting the little plastic wrappers that are around each straw, (laughs) putting them in one pile, putting the straws in another pile, and then putting the poppers in another pile. Now, the soft plastic, I can take that down to red cycle, the soft plastic's recycling, all good. The poppers themselves popped the holes, stood there 45 minutes squeezing them out, and it was all this (laughs) congealed milk. It was absolutely disgusting. But 24, did you say? 24. It's the right thing to do, Alina. I'm surprised this only took you 45 minutes. <laughs> You've set a record for disposal of UHT milk poppers. <laughs> so, yes, all of those went into the recycling, but the straws, Alina. I'm left with this pile of 24 mini straws. So mm. straws are one of the biggest issues in terms of plastic waste. 
So I felt very bad about this pile. And so I spent probably another hour plus researching what's going on with straws, any updates on the ability to recycle straws. And what did you find? Unfortunately, no, they still cannot be recycled. So then I have this phase of do I just throw them in the trash or I'm going to do something else. And this is what I decided to do. I'm going to stockpile them, Alina, until maybe one day there is a way to recycle those plastic <laughs> straws. <laughs> Good work. So where are they so now? That, that, where are the 24 straws, mini straws in They your are house? stored in the kitchen. Okay. Awaiting a day. I mean, ultimately what we want is to not be producing plastic straws, I think, mm. so that these issues yes. aren't even things I need to deal yes. with. <laughs> you know, one day they might be worth a lot. When you just can't get straws anymore and you'll have these well you'll have this collection of twenty-four rare <laughs> straws from UHT poppers. Yeah, from this phase of human existence when we produce <laughs> this stuff. And then everyone in the future just thinks, Wow, I can't believe they did that. Yes. Well, well done to you. I think that Thank is you. admirable and extremely nerdy. So yeah. Well done. So, Alina, what brought out your inner square this week? Well, as you know, I have recently started playing Words with Friends, oh. mainly with you. Yeah, I think I may be responsible for getting you onto Words with Friends. You are, <laughs> and I realise that I'm several decades late to this party, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, I have been trying to enjoy it, and I have been to an extent, but I find myself getting extremely frustrated <laughs> about the words that are allowed yes. that I have never heard of yes. seem to be so obscure, <laughs> esoteric words, <laughs> and then the perfectly legitimate words that are not allowed. Mm-hmm. And I'm really losing it over this. <laughs> and so, look, I'm not, I've got too many examples. I don't want to go off on a tangent. But I got very upset when I was not permitted to play the word June, mm-hmm. as in the month of June. Yeah, that's because it's a proper noun. You can't play. But it's a word. Yes. <laughs> it's words with friends. It is not adjectives with friends. It is not adverbs with friends. I understand the explanation, but I disagree. So you're telling me that you can play the word plogging, which is the art of picking up litter while jogging, apparently, (laughs) you can play plogging and not June. Yes, Alina, because in 2018, I think it was, they the upper echelons of Scrabble, so now we're going away from words with friends slightly over to Scrabble land, they introduced hundreds of new words to the Scrabble dictionary and words with friends have taken on not all of them, a lot of them. And plogging was included in that list. I understand, but I just <coughs> I refuse to accept that that is a more legitimate and commonly used word than June. Okay. Yes. And I've got more on my list, but I'm not even I'm not even going to say it. But I w- I'll just say that my inner square moment was me searching for information <laughs> on who's involved in the process for deciding which words are in the Scrabble dictionary. Yes. And I was reading about the official Scrabble Players Dictionary, yes. or OSPD, yes. the Merriam-Webster version and the Collins version, yes. which is the British version and is it has more words and it's supposed to be more applicable worldwide. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading all this, but I could not find any clear information about how exactly these decisions are made. Yes. Now, when okay, yes. okay, as in 
Now, there's two versions. There's the OKAY, OKAY, and OK. Yes, just the two-letter version. When that was entered into the list, yes. John Chu, the co-president of the North American National Scrabble Players Association, right. said, we spent a week last summer debating this. <laughs> I would have loved so, to be there for that. <laughs> oh, presumably, then, it's a group discussion or debate mm-hmm. among senior members of the Players Associations. Mm-hmm. And then I guess it's put forth to Merriam-Webster or Collins. Mm-hmm. But there's not a lot of transparency no. with the actual decision-making process, Janine. Mm. Is it put to a vote? How many members are there? Do they all have voting rights? Is it peer-reviewed? Exactly. Does the vote have to be unanimous mm. or is a majority acceptable? What percentage majority <laughs> is needed? None of this information seems readily accessible to Scrabble playing members of the general public like me. Mm. And I find that troubling. <laughs> <laughs> well, what bothers me at the moment with Words with Friends is that they don't match the Scrabble dictionary. It drives me nuts. I don't understand why they can't get these things coordinated. So one of the words that was introduced in 2018 to the Scrabble dictionary was Z, the gender neutral pronoun, Z-E. Very legitimate word. You can't play it. You cannot play it in words with friends, but you can play it on a Scrabble board. Why, Alina? That's disgraceful. I know. And it's like, hang on, this is cultural significance. We need to get this word on there. And it's a 10-pointer letter. Two-letter words are critical for winning games. So... I have heard. This is upsetting. I have looked it up. I have looked up a few where I've said, why can't I play this word? And I have seen just on the odd forum people saying they had contacted Words with Friends saying, look, I think a legitimate word is not in the Words with Friends dictionary and it should be added. And that Words with Friends have complied. So, Alina, I'm wondering if we should petition Words with Friends to include the gender neutral pronoun Z. I think we should. I think we should. So you're saying we do have some power here? It sounded like it. So I think we should do this and we can report back. We'll see what happens there. And if not, I will will just say... It will change things so much in Words with Friends. And anyone who doesn't play Words with Friends and has no idea what we're talking about, just trust us. It's a game changer. And this is important stuff. It is! Thanks for joining us today. Details of the studies we've talked about will be available on our website, which is www.sisterdoctorsquared.com with all words spelt in full. And you can follow along on Facebook and Twitter, and we'd really love to connect with you. Sorry, I was just sending a tweet. I was listening to you. (laughs) Oh, she's got so much to learn. She's got so much to learn. Are we wrapping things up? Yes. Thanks, everybody. Um, Did Janine mention the website? (laughs) Yes. Oh, good. All right. (laughs) See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.